Not everyone has a choice when it comes to their marriage ending. For some people, it can be sudden and for others, it can be a really long time coming. But how do you get through those first few weeks of what is commonly referred to as the second most stressful life event after the death of a spouse? I'm Annalise Dent. And I'm Cass Thorburn, and you're listening to Divorce Story, the podcast aimed at helping you get back on your feet after a relationship separation. Over 12 weeks, we'll walk you through some steps that can help you or a friend get back on your feet when life becomes one you had not planned on. On the show today, we'll be joined by psychologist Jackie Manning to talk about how to grieve a sudden marriage breakdown and the tips you need to get you motivated during a pretty shitty time. A relationship is two people and it's always about the dynamic between two people, but oftentimes someone is carrying that shame. There's a list of common emotions people experience during the divorce process. They're known as denial, shock, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. But I'm told one of the most important steps to let yourself go through is grieving the marriage you had and the marriage you'll no longer get to have. Cass, as someone who's been through this, those first few days, what was it like? I'm not going to lie. It's pretty confronting. You know, you get yourself out the door with the kids to go to school. I had children. They had to go to school. You get them there, I'd literally crawl to the back door and lie on the floor until it was time to pick them up again. Put on the brave face, get them again. You know, it may not be the same for everybody, but from what I understand from conversations with many people, the first, we're talking immediately after this happens to you and you don't know what's coming. There's so many fears that come through your mind. You know, how am I going to be a mum and a dad? You're not. How am I going to run the household on my own without the support of somebody else? Who am I going to have those conversations with? You know, and and then not just that person, it's grieving a marriage. But how how did I get myself back up again? Like I said, I had three children. You have to get back up. And when you realize that actually it's an opportunity for you to start thinking about yourself because you're no longer part of a couple. You no longer have to consider another adult in every decision you make. You no longer have to think, okay, this is what one of the children want to do. You know, should I check with someone? Should I? You actually get to make those decisions on your own. I'm not talking life-changing decisions for them, but everyday decisions. What are we going to have for dinner? Well, it doesn't no longer revolves around, oh, I wonder what they'd like for dinner because, you know, that, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's all about what you would like for dinner and, you know, the kids eat what you eat. That's taking it one day at a time and just realising that that choice, everything's up to you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. We're joined today by the friendly psychologist Jackie Manning to talk about how it's completely normal to feel a lot of things Jackie separated from her husband last year, so she knows the process all too well. So Jackie, if there's someone listening right now, perhaps just starting on a separation journey, what would you tell them? I'd tell them to breathe. I'd tell them that they will be, they'll get through this. But I'd also tell them that whatever they're feeling is whatever they're feeling. And so if they need to cry, and especially men don't cry enough, but neither do women, actually. I have lots of people who, who always apologise in my sessions for crying. It's like, no, no, use as many tissues as you can. Crying is a really important physiological release. It releases 
pain, it also can give you some feel-good hormones in your body afterwards. So to really honour that, to be really honest with themselves about what they need. And so they may not know and that may change day to day. So when you first separate, you go into quite a lot of shock. So your brain might not be able to think straight. You might not be able to cope with work terribly well. So to be kind to yourself is probably one of the main messages too. A lot of people have supportive workplaces, but a lot of people don't. And so where possible, I think pulling back from tasks that aren't completely necessary is an important part of the process. And that does involve telling perhaps one trusted colleague or your boss or something like that. And people are sometimes reluctant to do that. But I think it's important part to let people know, hey, I might just need a little bit of leeway here if, if, my, if I'm a bit late with a deadline or whatever it might be. So you don't have to tell everyone their whole story, but if there's key people in their life, like other parents of at school or people at work, to somehow maybe you write it down, maybe you send a text message or an email if you feel like you can't talk verbally with them because that lets people know, hey, we need to look out for, for them or they might need an extra pair of hands around the house or going to soccer practice and things like that. So to reach out where they, where they feel comfortable. It's interesting, isn't it, because death of a spouse is the number one most traumatic thing you can go through, but divorce from a spouse is number two. Mm. We would tell, you know, you, your your workplace would know and your close friends would know and that your husband died. So why is it that we're so ashamed or too scared to reach out to our employer and say we've separated because yeah, it's number two it's absolutely. very traumatic I think you've hit the nail on the head using the word ashamed I think there's a lot of shame attached to the failure of a relationship and people go into a marriage or a partnership and their expectation is that this will go forever and when it doesn't go the way they they had hoped they take it on personally and so they think they've done something to cause the breakdown now people do do actions that aren't great but a relationship is two people and it's always about the dynamic between two people. So, But oftentimes someone is carrying that shame and it's sad. A shame is a really toxic kind of emotion. It's real, It's it makes, but it makes you turn against yourself. Mm-hmm. And so by shining a light on it and just going, well, this is this is what's happened. This is just an event in my life. It's not my life. It's not me. It's not, it doesn't define me. It's just something that's happened can give people freedom or breathing space to to go about their daily lives. When it comes to grieving a relationship, the end of a relationship, what are some of the common stages of of grief that people might go through? So fear, anger, bargaining, denial that it's happening, sadness and depression type feelings and, and hopefully leading to some sort of acceptance. But their stages of grief and people often read those and think, okay, tick that one off, tick that Mm. one off. It's not like that. It's much more of a scrambled mess than that. (laughs) And so in any one day or any one week, you can experience some of those emotions, none of them, all of them at once. It can be a real roller coaster ride. And until you've gone through it, I don't think people are prepared for how changeable their feelings can be. And that's okay. So just to go, no, that's, that's part of this. You may have been living with difficulties for a while and been suppressing lots of those emotions or or perhaps not getting resolution on those, but people will experience some, if not all of those. 
is there sort of an unhealthy scope of what you should be looking out for in terms of patterns and ways of dealing with it? That, if you can, should be avoided. Yeah, look, I think some doona time is great. I think that. Yeah. I mean, if it was. <laughs> I think sometimes that's all you can manage. Is just yeah. I just need to rest. I, I don't want to be around people, and so to honour that where you can, I think is really actually good. If it goes on for weeks and months, okay, that becomes in an mm. unhealthy range, and you're not yeah. functioning terribly well and looking after yourself terribly well. So I'd go and seek help from a doctor in that case. Drinking alcohol is a really interesting one. It's something that so many people turn to. And it's really, I won't give guidelines because it's so individual, but it's, it is important to note if you're drinking double, three times as much as you normally would, to just notice that. Give yourself maybe a week or two weeks or something to be allowed to do that. But if it, again, if it keeps going on and on and on, then okay, there's stress there that's not being dealt with because it's alcohol just numbs you out really and it's a lovely feeling sometimes but it's ongoing it's not going to be the healthiest thing to to pursue so what can people do that's healthy I mean exercise is is healthy but it can also be used obsessively and so that's also avoiding I think I think people can't avoid pain you just can't Mm. it's part of life it happens so it's finding out how can you experience pain and know you're okay so for example a lot of people hold back from crying and I know in my sessions they will cry to a certain extent but I want them to have a full body snotty sobbing (laughs) cry (laughs) at some point so I say to them get your phone switch it off though but set your timer for 20 minutes and do a if you feel that need to cry don't hide from it just lie down on the floor in the fetal position Mm. do whatever you need to do and just sob it out the timer is there more as a safety net because I think people worry that when they start to go down that path that they're never going to come back but Mm. of course they are they'd probably stop after 15 20 minutes anyway but the timer is just a bit of a security blanket that will bring them back to the present and let them you know breathe feel a lot clearer I mean I love crying it's something that makes me feel I like crying too so it's something it's you need this is sad you need to kind of cry it out or or get it out because otherwise you're just pushing down pushing down pushing down and that can lead to physical problems on on one hand it can also lead to um kind of over-the-top reactions so maybe in anger or frustration at things that aren't anything to do with the situation but it's because you're sitting on this tank of toxic sadness and stress Jackie, you touched on earlier about the stages of grief and said, but it's not as simple as that. It's not like, okay, I've checked through this stage now. Mm. So if someone is listening and they think, oh, I was angry three weeks ago and now I'm back in anger or three months or whatever, that's not something that they should feel bad about. No, absolutely not. You know, and it's, it's probably like a bit like an onion, you know, they've probably expressed one part of their anger and then suddenly another memory pops up or a feeling or a mm. story about what's gone wrong something makes and you sad and it. angry in the same moment totally sad mad like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know that that's absolutely why are normal. you crying i'm sad mad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally and and that reeling feeling because it can make you feel like whoa i'm back here i thought i'd yeah. gone through that yeah that's just part of it because it is big and so to realize that is actually probably quite good information for people mm. that there's nothing wrong with them they just need to go through that that phase of expressing mad sad you know sad madness <laughs> and madness i mean with anger anger is such a alive energy mm. i do encourage people to 
you know, whack a pillow or something, get some of that physical adrenaline out of their system. We live in an, a, often a crowded environment so we can't really let go. But if you can in mm. your car, in a car park, not when you're driving, let out some stuff. Like mm. if you need to mm. shout, or pushing shout. Up with my five-year-old we do pushing a wall. Yeah, pushing a yeah. wall or journaling. You know, people often yeah, forget writing. the art of journaling. Yeah, I and did that. I wrote out. a lot of journals for, and and then it became less often. Yes, you know, it started off being something that was weekly to something that was monthly to something that then became. You know, I think Every it's probably been then. a year since I wrote. Yeah. So I think yeah, those those were really really great things for me to get out things that I didn't want to talk to other people about. Totally. It's personal. You can write anything yep. you want. You can burn it if you want. But the idea is getting it out of I you. I think I'd have to burn yeah. my phone. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but it gives your brain a signal that often you can get stuck on a thought or a feeling and it goes around and around. People ruminate on stuff. And so and your brain is programmed to be alert to things that you're worried about. And so it will hold on to that thought and it will circulate. So journaling really cuts that that pattern mm. so dumping it on a page whatever you want to say is actually a really healthy thing to do and yeah using the notes section on the phone yeah. I often encourage people mm. to do that because everyone's always got their phones everywhere absolutely and mm. then if you actually are there sort of thinking you know if you're a bit angry at least you're only getting it out you're not actually doing anything with the words they're just being written down they're out of your body out of your mind I found for me they didn't go to anyone else no exactly didn't have to share them with anyone I just had to share them with yeah yeah, it's really healthy and if you need to express some of that anger to your partner or your ex-partner you can just do it in a way not the way that you write in your journal Mm. (laughs) (laughs) but just to use a lot of I statements so saying I'm feeling a lot of anger Mm. about blah 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 I don't know what their response would be and you can't control anyone else's response but if you feel better expressing something then that's okay to do too but just to try and vent first get some of that real you know adrenaline charged cortisol charged feeling out of your system first because if you do try and share that with your with your ex they won't hear what you're saying anyway they'll just feel the energy the in the air yeah. and yeah. they uh, our fight flight system gets activated and they switch off even if they're sitting opposite mm. you in a room mm. so it gets counterproductive mm. that's where a lot of fights in relationships go around and around in circles and we often when you've spent a long time with that person you actually know whether they're a fight or flight person and you know what reaction you're going to get yeah so, <laughs> you yeah, know really you no point going there because you actually know If there are kids involved in a separation, assumingly kids go through their own grief, what are some things that we can do to help our kids through the grieving process? It's a great question. So kids are different even when they've grown up in the same family. They might have different needs at different times. So it's being watchful for things that they might need. So I've got two children and when when it first happened to us, one of my children felt like talking to everybody, everybody at school, even Mm. non-close friends. I'm like, that's fine. If that's what she needs to do, that's what she needs to do. The other one was kind of the opposite, didn't want to tell anyone. And she got a little bit upset one day that her sister was was telling people and it's like, well, you've got different Mm. ways of of processing this and that's okay. You don't have to do it one way. You don't have to do it the other Mm. way. Mm. So really encouraging them to feel their feelings as well. Kids are great. They're in their feelings a lot of the time. They can teach us adults a lot. I'm a therapist and my poor children get asked how they're feeling a lot. <laughs> um, and they'll tell me sometimes, they won't tell me sometimes and that's okay. But to to try and keep their lives as routine as possible. So if they 
can keep their activities that they like to do, if they can keep their playdates up, if they can keep all those kind of things up, but keep the things up that are important to them to try and show them that their lives, they have changed, but they've still got the things that they Mm. want and enjoy around them. Needs, not wants. Yeah. is something I talk to my kids about. It's kind of like, yeah, you know what, you're talking I, I, I a lot, but what do you need right now? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. What do you need? And they might need a cuddle or they, one right. kid might not be very cuddly. So what do they need instead? Yeah. Yeah. They might need They to, might just need me to shut up. That's exactly <laughs> right. I'm sure my kids <laughs> think that a lot. Um, <laughs> but just you know your own child the best. And look, I, you know, when I was feeling really sad, I'd say to them, look, I'm really sorry. I'm just not as enthused about, I don't know, going to the park or doing different things. They had more screen time than I would have ever allowed them <laughs> before. Um, but they knew there was an end point to that and they knew that I, I thought it was healthy to express I was feeling stuff too. I don't think they would have found it healthy if they'd seen me falling apart or one of those snotty sobs I talked about. So those I did in private. But it was, yeah, just, just checking in on them regularly and not to imagine just because they're acting resilient and fine, they might have stuff inside. They might not want to talk to you about it, but they might want to talk to a friend's mum or someone else about it and that's fine. And some of their behaviour is trying to tell you that they've got an emotion going on. Always. You know, if if it's out of character, you know, the way they're acting towards you or acting towards something that's happening, it's like, oh, wait a second, I think it's time to have a little sit down in the dark. That's what I call it. You know, when you go in their bedroom at night and because kids will talk to you when the light's off. At night is a great time. They're lying down, they're relaxed, they can close their eyes, pretend you're not even there you get to actually have a conversation with them that they wouldn't want to have, you know, in in the kitchen or yeah. looking straight at you or, you know, and the car's another good place. But yes. I think the, the, you know, in the dark at night is the best Absolutely. combo time. And to reassure them. So, you know, my one of my daughters um, quite early on asked me, do we still call daddy daddy or do we call him yeah. by his name I wouldn't say his name um, <laughs> did you have another name and, <laughs> and, and I was like of course you're only ever going to yeah. have one dad and you're only mm. ever going to have, have one mum if mm. either of us ever get other partners then they're going well what would we call them and I'm like would we call them stepdad or I was like no you call them by their name like you yes. just well, you call them what you want to call them yes. this is this yeah. is no pressure on you yeah. you have one dad and one mum and we love you very much and this is not because of you. So also, you know, a lot of kids, they are very egocentric and that's part of their developmental um, cycle and a lot of kids think they've caused breakups. Mm. So to make it explicitly known to them that this is not because of them, whether they take that really inwards, you know, I don't know. We won't know till, mm. them, till they're older. But to reassure them that, that they didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes kids pair things in their mind like... They might have got into trouble for something and then they found out the news that the that mum and dad were separating. They think, oh, my God, it happened because I spilt the milk or something. Yeah. You know, they really mm. think that way sometimes. They do, that so. they had an influence. Mm. I was thinking just then that when you were talking about how they might feel that, you know, they're not loved as much or they don't know where they – what they're going to call that next person, you know, the next person their mum or dad might be in a relationship with kind of reminded me of – when I was pregnant with my second child and I rang my girlfriend up frantic, like, oh, my, oh, wait a second, wait a second, and I'm almost due at this point, how am I going to love another child yes. as much as I love the one I've got, <laughs> right? Like, and, if, and she just laughed at me. I mean, I was living in LA at the time. She was laughing at me down the phone line. Oh, Cash, your heart just grows bigger. Mm. And the same for the children. Like, yeah. we, maybe they don't know yet that 
you know, they haven't worked out that, you know, other people come into your life that are family and or grows. extended family. It grows. Your heart grows. That's right. Thanks so much for coming in, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. Today's divorce story is from Amber. Now, she met her ex-husband, or now ex-husband, when she was 18. After two kids and 11 years, he ended the relationship 18 months ago. At the time, she was working full-time with a four-year-old and 14-month-old and a rather large shared mortgage. I'm exhausted already. (laughs) Like, holy dooly, Amber. It was a very interesting time. Yes. (laughs) Slightly stressful, but interesting. I can only imagine. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today because this is obviously something that's still pretty fresh, still ongoing, I imagine. So thank you so much for for being here and, and sharing your story with other people. We really appreciate it. Amber, how did your relationship end? It's an interesting story. I was on the cruise of a lifetime with my then husband and there wasn't enough plugs in the room to keep my phone charged and I was on his phone and I received a message from his girlfriend. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite interesting. We decided to come back to shore. We were halfway through a 10-day cruise. Come back to shore. You're literally stuck on a boat. Like I with could his not, parents. Like that's like the cruise ship from hell. It wasn't too bad. So I told his mum and dad that, you know, we just had a bit of a fight. Um and so we, we said we're gonna work it out. So from the cruise ship I booked in a therapist for him, a therapist for me and a therapist for us to see how we could go. We got on shore and within a couple of days it was really quite clear that together was not a direction for us. So we parted ways. Um, he didn't come back to the house and so his mum pretty much took his things that I packed up for him and he disappeared for almost three months which took us past Christmas. So it was a bit challenging on the small kids and quite interesting for myself working and managing that time. How hard was it for you with children that young? Incredibly. I was pretty blessed. I turned up to work the next day and I took the kids off to daycare at that point. But by an hour or two into my my day, it was very clear that I needed to go home. So I was very blessed that I was told I could take two weeks off or it was just shy of two weeks. So I spent that time at home shedding 10 kilos, also known as not eating. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love that breakup, bounce back. (laughs) It was phenomenal. Yeah. So it was it was very challenging. I did cry a lot. I think a lot of people do, just not certain where or what or how I'm going to do things. And I have to say that it's from a, a good support network of people in my local community that really helped me get through that that initial time. Amber, when my marriage ended, for me it was how do I be mum and dad? And then realising I don't have to be dad. Correct. But you just think, you know, all of a sudden you're there with the children and you've become a single parent and you think I'm the only one in the house, but you're not their dad. You're still just their mum. And I think for me that was a great realisation when I got to that point. Yeah. But fetal position on the floor, that first bit, <laughs> you're not thinking that clearly. No, no. Fetal position on the floor, I just wanted to break. <laughs> <laughs> so I found the family dynamic prior to separation was that um, I did a lot of things regardless, but we had the means that I was able to outsource certain little things. So I could order in or go to McDonald's for dinner if I wanted to. Post-separation, 
everything was on me and there was no relief. There was no one hour to go get my hair done. There was no uh, escaping to go for a walk to get some groceries and taking two hours instead of the 15 minutes it really should take. <laughs> so one of the first things for me was I, I just want a break. I just want some space. Um, and that was one of the biggest challenges. You certainly learn to be organised is the one thing yes. I learned becoming a single parent is mm-hmm. that you really, it's a very structured day. Planning in advance, making sure things are together. So when I worked out that Christmas wasn't happening, um, so he wasn't participating in Christmas, uh, that started to be planned immediately as well. Okay, well, what am I doing? Where am I going? Then uh, there's a shutdown period for the daycare. What am I going to do with work? Because I don't shut down. It was um, very interesting working out, making it all in order, getting a lot of lists together um, and then crossing off or ticking off as things are done and then doing a new list when that one got too messy. Absolutely. I'm with you. I think (laughs) making a list for single mums is up there with one of the most important things that we have to do because all of a sudden there is no job that's not yours. Correct. Even putting out, you know, the garbage bins or, uh, you know, everything then becomes and encouraging the kids to help. But your yeah. children were so young, it's not the same scenario. Yeah, it was It was very interesting as well because my children have always clung to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, every waking hour they want to be with me. I was one of those mums where the kids slept in my bed. So now 18 months on, I've given in and we all sleep in my bed. <laughs> Their beds are purely for show. Yeah. <laughs> Amber, for anyone listening who is in a similar situation, they don't have complete financial independence and they're about to separate or they're going through it, what were your first steps? Like tell us, you know, Centrelink, where did you go? Who did you speak to? Just the sort of the top line things that people, where they can go and and how they can get help. Yeah, so um, I was aware that there would be benefits through Centrelink and some things I could do. So uh, that's one of the first when I put myself off the floor out of the fetal position. Um, I went down to Centrelink and my local Centrelink said, maybe you should quit your job if you'd like some benefits because you're miles ahead of people, the fact that you have a job. Wow. So then I asked, well, what about rental assistance? What can I do if I move out of the family home? Because we're a week in and he's already saying, we need to sell the house. You need to get out. Kids. What about kids? Your kids. Mm. So I asked about rental assistance and she went through the rigmarole. And again, it sounded like I need to spend more than $500 per fortnight to actually to get something from the government to support there. I tried to ask, well, what other options are there? And she didn't really give anything. And I'm not sure if that was just the person, the vibe, or if that's the way of training, don't don't tell the secrets. So I was pretty blessed. One of my girlfriends hooked me up with a local single mothers group on Facebook. So I got some advice through there. Another girlfriend asked a divorced colleague in her office and she just gave me a list of everything she wished she knew. So when we go back to Centrelink, I've then applied for the single parenting payment which allowed my daycare, I couldn't believe this, I was over the moon, my daycare was at 84% subsidised. That's awesome. Anyone who pays daycare in Sydney would know that that was absolutely incredible. And after paying, I think it was $1,300 or $1,400 a week, just onto the credit card for the first two months of being single to have that reduction was incredible. So single parenting payment then made me eligible for a couple of other smaller benefits, which um, are all based off my salary. So it was relatively fair and respectful. But I live in inner city. um, So living so close to the city, nothing's cheap. The rent's not cheap. The food's not cheap. The parking's not cheap. The toys aren't cheap. And the kids want what the other kids have. So Centrelink helped, but it wasn't that um, incredible. So with this list that um, someone else gave you, was there anything else off that list that you can think of that was really great advice? Straight away go to a lawyer. 
Um, And I hummed and hard over that one and it probably took me a good two or three weeks but I was glad I did in the end because I got one up on him. I went to a lawyer first and so when he was ready to, I was able to say, well, you can send it straight to my my lawyer. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So getting a lawyer straight away and just getting all the details and specifics down whilst it's still fresh, whilst it's still raw, I've discovered there's a lot of free lawyers out there that – I don't know the correct term. Um, they like pro- legal, legal aid. Legal aid. Legal aid. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Pro bono. Um, so they can do work for you and support you. There are a few groups out there as well that you can um, contact that will give you advice or support. And if you can get into a Facebook group in your local area or whatever social media you're using that is for local support group for single mums, then you'll find that they will have a, a myriad of advice that would really support you. They've been through it. Anything that you're going through, they will know. Absolutely. And they're always welcoming, open and and interactive conversation and it doesn't matter if someone asked the same question two weeks ago they'll a lot of the time because they're empathetic they've been through challenge yeah. so they're empathetic to your situation and so they will answer the question again so you'll see the same question asked um, and this time maybe I'll put my two cents in and give my advice as well and because there's enough people in the group it, yeah now Amber good. I know it's only been 18 months and in terms of you know uh, grieving the end of a, a, a marriage that was as long as yours was that's a process. But in 18 months, is there something that you would love to have told yourself back then that you know now? Do you think maybe that your husband's decision or yours not to come back to the house straight after the holiday, do you think in hindsight you would have been better sort of working things out? I feel that he could have been a little bit more clear on the cruise that he really had no interest. And even before we went away, he could have been much more clear because we'd had discussions that, you know, it wasn't unhappy. I, I thought he was just going through a phase. We had a young child. I just I just thought that this too would pass. We'd put our effort in as a married couple. So perhaps more clarity, a, a better conversation could have supported um, difference a different outcome there but to be honest as soon as he decided not to come to the house I was very lucky that he was very outspoken of his actual feelings towards me and I'm never going to be with someone who talks to me in that manner I draw a line and he crossed the line on multiple occasions and so I was very blessed that it was just it was cut and dry at that point I wasn't going back and it was just move forward. Amber thank you so much for sharing that with us I know it's just still really quite fresh for you and it's still new and it's still hard and you've got young kids and um, I just look at you and I'm so amazed and I'm so proud at how far you've come in 18 months and you're just doing amazing. Can I just say she's studying at Harvard? Oh, incredible. Can I just add that in? She's studying (laughs) at Harvard now. Um, You know, what you... The difference, the different person you are in eighteen months, is just stronger and and better. I think. And there's that a positive you're, you're that's come awesome. from closing a chapter. Incredible You've actually positives. opened a new one. I'm doing a podcast here there with Annalise. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I changed jobs, so I yeah. I got a fifteen percent pay rise. I'm now looking for my second job change in eighteen months. I started studying at and Harvard. <laughs> I actually went to Boston over January, and I spent three weeks there with the children and my parents to look after the kids whilst I studied, and I got. A. It was my first A. At Harvard. (laughs) Thank you, Annalise. Um, But the change is absolutely incredible. I have to say um, I've taken this as an opportunity because very politely we say our vows, we commit to our our partnership, whatever that looks like to us. And I never would have left because I had children, but this is one of the best things and hopefully it's a wonderful thing for him as well. Um, But it's definitely a wonderful thing for me and I have two girls, so hopefully they can take from that that women can be strong on their own and 
And the flip side was that, Amber, you got the opportunity to focus on yourself sooner than you would have done had this not happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. All power to you. Thank you. So you don't miss out on any episodes, make sure you hit subscribe. And if you liked what you heard, then please feel free to rate us and leave a review. If you want to hear more from us, follow us on socials at Cass Thorburn and at Annalise Dent. And Divorce Story is produced by me, Annalise Dent. And me, Cass Thorburn. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. If you have any questions or feedback for us, email podcast at pacificmags.com.au.